1 John 1, 5 through 10 says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Amen. You can be seated. Well, good morning, church. It is so good to see you. Man, what an incredible week we had last week. Uh, Four baptisms and the story of what God has been doing. And I'm just telling you, we said last weekend that we just said, you know, God, you're not finished yet. And we just prayed, Lord, would you just continue to move? Uh, And what you saw uh, this morning, the four baptisms this morning, uh, just more evidence of that. We had three other uh, people give their life to Jesus over this last week. Uh, Three more uh, occurred this week. Uh, Several more waiting to be baptized. There there is more to come. And uh, we're just in this moment. I just, just, uh, man, just take a deep breath and, and enjoy that you are getting to experience and to see a powerful work of God. Um, and we're doing our best to just, yeah, yeah, doing our best to just stay out of the way and, uh, and let God do what he, what he wants to do. And I just want to encourage you to continue to pray, uh, continue to pray, continue. You just heard that encouragement, uh, this morning on our, on our video, uh, but, but continue to pray for God to, to do what he wants. As we pray, I think one of the, the powerful things that happens as we pray, we're not convincing God to do something that he doesn't want to do. But as we, as we pray, uh, we are uh, realizing in ourselves what, through communion with God, what it is that God wants to do. We're, we're asking God for him to have his way around us, but also in us. And so one of the things that happens as we, as we pray is that the more that we pray, the more that we understand God's heart for the people around us, the more that we become open to God using us for his purposes uh, because we are connecting with God's heart and will and intent and we're wanting to see uh, the will of heaven done on earth. And so as we pray, our eyes are open to what that is and we come into alignment with what God wants to do. And so prayer is powerful and effective um, and I believe as you pray, uh, you will see ways in which God wants to use you in what he is, uh, what he's doing. Uh, we've been working up uh, to Easter. We're working up to Easter, working through this season of Lent and, and studying the different themes uh, of Lent. I feel like we had a little bit of a, of a break uh, from that with all the interesting things that have been going on, but I uh, want to jump back in this week. Uh, a few weeks ago, Nathan preached about uh, repentance, and I, I love that sermon. Uh, because most of the time when you hear rep- repentance preached, it is here comes the guilt, here comes the shame. Repentance is like the last thing that we wanna, we wanna talk about. But, but Nathan talked about the joy and the gift of, of repentance. I just love this. That, that is God's heart. And, and today what we're gonna do is we're gonna talk about repentance's uh, twin sibling, uh, confession. Uh, 
And this is another one that it's like, oh man, like we made it through the repentance thing and now we're gonna, we're gonna talk about confession. But those two are so closely uh, related. They go together. They, they almost always go together. And today we're gonna dive into this topic of confession. Now I know that depending on your background, depending on uh, any religious background that you may have, maybe you don't have any at all. Maybe this is your first time to church. And if it is, so glad that you are here. Welcome to the crew here, but um, I don't know what comes into your mind when you hear that word confession. And what I wanna try to do today is I wanna try to come very, very, very simply uh, to scripture, give a very straightforward definition of what confession is, of why God uh, has, uh, has asked uh, for it to be a habit of the Christian life and why uh, for thousands of years, people that follow Jesus have, uh, have practiced this discipline of, uh, of confession. But I think the best, way, the best way to start is by telling you a story. Pastors often like to do this. We tell stories at the beginning of messages and uh, and maybe it helps kind of illustrate the point. But, but there, was, uh, there was a transition that happened in our life. I like things neat and tidy and clean. My space is organized. Uh, that has that just always been true. And particularly, I want that in my vehicle. Um, I, I don't always have to have the outside. It doesn't have to be shined and waxed and all that. I don't care as much about that. But I don't want a bunch of junk in my car. I want it to be very simple, not much, not much going on. I like my spaces clean. And there's this thing that happens when you have kids. Um, where you just have to get over that. Um, and it was a hard, hard transition for me. Lindsay did so much better uh, in that. But inevitably what happens if you have whatever vehicle it is that the kids are going to ride in, you just kind of have to take a deep breath and just go, it is what it's gonna be. Who knows what you'll find. I won't tell you what I found this weekend in our car. But here's the deal. Uh, we, had this, we had this moment kind of early on when our, when our kids were much smaller. And this actually isn't on the kids, but, uh, but, but it, they desensitized us to a point where something happened. So uh, I, I opened the car door and you know, I, and again, just parents, you just have to, you just know, you know when you catch that whiff of something that's just not right, and it's, it's, it's somewhere in the world of like, this shouldn't be here, but I don't know what it is. Um, that's a common experience, uh, raising kids. And uh, so I opened the car door and that, that the, the scent, very faint, the scent of something that, that shouldn't be there, but I didn't know what it was, kind of hit me. And man, as a good husband and a good dad, I closed the door and was like, I don't know what that is. I'm walking away. <laughs> that's terrifying. I don't know what that is. Uh, so days go by and that faint smell starts to increase. And then one day in a beautiful 150 degree, 112% humidity East Texas day when our, uh, our dark brown car sat out in a blacktop parking lot for eight hours, you know, it just does something to smells those conditions. We opened the car and it was like, oh my gosh. Something died in here. There is a body in this vehicle decomposing. And so it, it was just overpowering. And the search begins. We tore that car apart. And we've got this little, we've, we, we have an expedition and there's this little hatch in the back that you pull this little hatch up and it's like where, it's one of those storage places that you're like, what were they thinking we would actually put in here? And I don't, but anyway, it's these tiny little crevice. And in that crevice, we found it. It was a potato. 
I'm literally expecting to like find a raccoon or something dead in there, you know, and, and, but it was, it, was a, it was a potato with stuff growing that I've never seen growing on a potato before and a smell that like just talking about it, I kind of want to just leave, okay? But it was, it was unreal. Here's the illustration. Let's just, let's just do the illustration here. That potato didn't belong in that car. It did not belong. It had fallen out of the grocery bag and found its way into that little crevice and it had been there for, we literally didn't remember the last time we bought potatoes, okay? So it had been there way too long. The point is that when something is in the wrong place, when it's hidden and in the wrong place, it can start to stink. And this is my transition to confession, (laughs) all right? Sin... When it is hidden and in the wrong place, meaning not in front of God, not in front of others, when it is hidden inside of us, it can cause the whole thing, the whole of our life can start to stink because of that hidden thing. It's interesting that the Bible talks about this a ton and particularly in the wisdom books. So in Proverbs, and remember what the wisdom books are trying to do is they're, they're trying to show us a, a picture of the good life, life in God's kingdom, what life was meant to look like. And there's all sorts of, of incredible perspectives into uh, wisdom, into what the, this life looks like. Well, actually uh, the book of Proverbs covers this topic. And here's what it says in verse 13 uh, of, of chapter 20. It says, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Blessed is the one that fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. A couple of verses later in verse 17 and 18, it says, if one is burdened with the blood of another, he will be a fugitive, meaning on the run. If he is hiding his guilt, he will be on the run until death. Let nobody help him. But whoever walks in integrity will be delivered. But he who is crooked in his ways will suddenly fall. So the point is, just like that hidden potato started to stink, here's the deal. Hiding our sin corrupts us. But telling the truth about our sin and moving away from it, and the moving away from it is what Nathan spoke about, is is repentance. It's that turn and moving away from something. But we have to tell the truth about our sin and move away from it. And when we tell the truth about our sin and move away from it, Scripture says that there is blessing. But let's be honest. How many of us love to tell the truth about our sin? How many of us love to talk about the hidden things of our heart? How many of us love to pull our sin out in front of God and others? We we hate that. What would we rather do? What is our normal tendency? What do we like to do? We like to hide. Well, we come about it really naturally. Human beings have been hiding in the, as a result of and in the midst of sin for a long time. The first time we see this happen is in Genesis chapter three. 
And we know the story that when Adam and Eve eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the very first thing that they do is their eyes are open and, and they, they have broken in fellowship and relationship with God. The very first thing that they do is they, they, they uh, get fig leaves and they sew them on as clothes. Their nakedness before, their vulnerability, total vulnerability with one another was now a source of shame. And the first thing that they did is they hid from one another. Sin immediately fractures and breaks relationship. It caused them to hide from uh, and, and alter their view of one another. But what else did they do? Scripture says that they hid from who else? They hid from God. And God even asked this question, why are you hiding? And Adam talks about, man, we're hiding because of what we've done. We're hiding because of the shame of what we've done. And if we're honest, that's the way that most of us live our lives. That when we, when we sin and when there's sin that sits in our heart, when there's sin in our life, we would so much rather hide than tell the truth. And so we do that. We hide from one another by twisting and distorting reality, by getting them to see us and think about us in ways that we have created and manufactured rather than by what is really true. And here's the crazy thing. We, we feel like, man, we can get away with that with others, but we also somehow have believed that we're getting away with that with God. That somehow if I just would hide myself, remove myself in some certain way, if I just pretend religion, maybe if I just do the right Christian things, then God won't really see into the depths of my heart. Then somehow God is going to miss it. And yet God is all knowing and God sees directly into our heart. What in the world are we thinking that we could move away from God and in some way he might not see what is really there, but we do it. When it comes to sin, you and I like to hide. But scripture says it was never intended to be this way. We just read in the book of Proverbs that we were never intended to hide from God. We were never intended to hide from one another. And so what should it look like? I want you to go to the book of 1 John. Now, this is a little tricky. There is a book in your Bible called John. It's at the beginning of your New Testament. That's the gospel of John. We're gonna go to 1 John, which is close to the end of your Bible. Here's where it is in mine. You see, we're almost always to, are all the way to the end, right there, getting before Revelation. If you hit Revelation or the rear cover, you have gone too far back up to the left there into 1 John. Now, the opening of John's letter here is focused on, there's an important word. The word is fellowship. The opening of the letter is focused on fellowship with God and with one another. Check out verse three of chapter one. He says, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So what is he, what is he saying? He's saying that the things that we've seen and heard, we are, we are telling you the things that we've seen and heard. We're telling you about Jesus. We're sharing the gospel with you because God's design, and this goes back to the Great Commission, God's design is that in Jesus, through faith in Jesus, a new family was being created in him. And so John here says that we're telling you this because God's design is that you would have fellowship with us. We want you to be part of this family. And he says then, and also our fellowship is with the Father and the Son. And so what he's saying is that we belong to one another because we belong to him. And we're sharing the good news of Jesus because we want you to have fellowship with both God and his family. 
Now, I wanna say a couple of things here that I've said in the past, but it bears repeating because what we've done, and I don't know when this started, where this started, we'd have to talk to a historian to, uh, to, to get down into this, but for some reason, we, we break those two things apart. We break fellowship and relationship apart. And here's why I think we do this, because for so long, all we've really been worried about is how to get to heaven when we die. That's been the focus. How do I get to heaven when I die? How do I get forgiven of my sin? The rest of it doesn't really matter, but how do I get to heaven when I die? And when that's the question, all I really see in the gospels is a need to have that initial moment with Jesus where I surrender my life to him, where I say I'm a sinner and I need you to save me and that's it. Now I've paid my, I've paid my fee. Jesus has paid my fee rather and now I get into heaven when I die. And because that's all we've thought about, we've totally missed a huge part of the gospel which is the fact that God has not sent his son to die and to be raised on the third day just so that you can go to heaven when you die. He has done so that you can have fellowship with him now and for eternity. This is not just a know him to check a, a box to go to heaven, but God intends that we would have an active fellowship with him. So when we come to Christ, we become sons and daughters. We belong to him. We have a relational standing with God. Are you tracking with this? And that relational standing is held within the sacrifice of Jesus. So Jesus paid that price. And if I put my faith in him, if I repent of my sin and put my faith in him, then he forgives me and he puts his spirit in me and I belong to him and I'm part of the family I have a relational standing with God that will never change because I did not pay the price for it. Jesus did, and the price was a perfect price paid. Are you guys tracking with me? But the point was never to stop there. The point of becoming sons and daughters was to enjoy fellowship with God that looks like being his children. How foolish would it have been of me to at the altar tell Lindsay that till death do us part and us make vows and become husband and wife and then never have fellowship with one another. To never go on a date, to never spend time with one another, to never talk about deep things, to never do the fun of a budget together. Like what would, right? What, there's no, if there were no fellowship in my marriage, would you say my marriage was healthy? No, but then I would tell you, but we have a relationship. I'm her husband, she's my wife. Well, great, a title's great, but the point of getting married was to enjoy the fellowship, the union of husband and wife. The point of a friendship is not so you can say, he's my friend. The point of the friendship is to say, and this is the fellowship that we enjoy together. So relationship and fellowship were always meant to go together. We've separated them. When John says that the point is for us to have fellowship with God and with one another, he's talking about coming into relationship with God so that we might enjoy fellowship with God and one another. Do you see? You were meant to enjoy, you are built and created to enjoy fellowship with God. God created humanity in such a way, we are wired specifically so that we would be fulfilled and sustained by relational fellowship with the triune God. And when we take that element out and just go, we're just gonna use you for the go to heaven part, man, we miss it. That's a bit of a sidebar, but it matters. John says that he's writing so that 
we would have fellowship with God and with one another. And fellowship, remember, is the substance of relationship. You guys good? Okay. Thought I lost you. So go down to verse five. So here's what he's gonna do. He's gonna join the chorus of scripture. So he's, he's gonna pick up a theme that has been in scripture. You can find this in Romans, Ephesians, Revelation, Psalm, Isaiah. You, you can find this all over the place. John is gonna call us to walk in the light. And I wanna read this to you. We read it just a minute ago, but he says, this is the message, verse five, that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, say walk in the light. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, here's our word, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now we gotta know what walking in the light means. Very simply, what walking in the light means is to live according to the truth to live according to the reality of God's kingdom, which is God's, when we're talking about God's kingdom, we're talking about the realm where what God says he wants done is done. God's kingdom, the truth to walk in the light is to walk according to what God says is right and good and true. That is what walk in the light means. Truth is not this abstract proposition here. He's not talking about true ideas and concepts like two plus two equals four. Is that true? Yes, but is it changing your life? I don't know. What he's talking about is an activated integrity. An activated integrity. So the opposite of truth is not being incorrect because I'm ignorant. The opposite of truth is not two plus two equals one, right? That's not what he's talking about here. The opposite of truth, if truth is an activated integrity, living according to the way that God says we should be living, the opposite of that is actually lying. A denial of and a, and, and a refusal to live into what God says is right and good and true. That's to walk according to a lie. To walk according to the truth is to go, God, I'm gonna live and agree with what you say is right and good and true. So if walking in the light means that we're living according to what God says is true, then what does that mean about sin? Watch this in verse eight. If we say we have no sin, we what? Deceive, you see it, there's lying. We deceive ourselves. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But look at verse nine. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So for John here, what he's, what he's urging us to do is don't pretend. Don't pretend like and, and say that, well, I'm not sinning. You can't, maybe you can't see it, but there's no sin in me. He's saying, don't say that. You've deceived yourself. You're lying. You're not living according to the truth. And, but we do that because we think that we're safer hiding. 
We deceive ourselves and pretend like there's no sin to deal with because we think, just like Adam and Eve thought, that the safer thing is to hide from one another, to distort reality so that people see us in a different way. We think that that's safer. And what John's saying here is that's not actually safer. That the best thing for you is to agree with what God says is true. And if this thing in my life does not align with the truth, what God says is right and good and true, then the best thing for me is not to hide, but to call that thing out front. To agree with God, God, this does not belong in my life, but it's present. And so here it is. And he says that's actually the safer thing because what we experience in that moment when we're walking according to the truth, we're agreeing with God. God's not hearing that prayer and going, man, really? You thought that, Bill? I didn't know. I'm so disappointed in you. That's maybe what we think because we think somehow that God is not, does not see our sin, but God already knows. And God's desire is that we would agree with him about what sin is, that we would speak it out loud to him so that he could give us the gift, which is a joyous gift for him to give, to say, I've paid for that. Walk in it no longer. We miss the delight of our father when we try to hide from him. We miss the joy and the mercy of God when we believe that our sin is safer in a hidden place. So he says, walk, walk in the light, which means to live according to what is true. And when I'm led by my selfish desires, and we know that's the way that sin works in the Christian life, when I walk not by the power of the spirit and not under the authority of God's spirit, when I choose instead to live according to my selfish and fleshly desires, Calling sin out means that I agree with God, that I bring that to the light and I acknowledge those things before God as sin. But you know what else? I also acknowledge those things before my brothers and my sisters so that I'm restored in fellowship with God and with others. Now don't freak out there because some of you just heard me say restored in fellowship with God and you heard the wrong thing. You heard, wait a minute, does that mean I'm unsaved when I sin? No, this is again the problem in breaking apart relationship and fellowship. They go together. Fellowship is the enjoyment of relationship. But when I hide sin, when I, when I keep it instead of confessing it, it deteriorates my fellowship with God. I do not enjoy the depths of, of the relationship that God has purchased for me, the fellowship element of my relationship with him. I do not enjoy the depths of that because I'm too busy telling God a lie. Because I'm saying to God, nope, this thing that is in me that is actually sin, according to your word, is not sin and I'm happy with it. Thank you very much. And it robs us of the depth of fellowship with God. Now, I wanna be clear here. I am, I'm talking about these moments where we refuse to bring sin into the light. There is a difference between things that we struggle with and things that we refuse to acknowledge as sin. I think it's a really important distinction. 
There are things that each one of us could probably talk about in our life that, we, that God has, has brought to the forefront, forefront that things that are, there may be in our thoughts, things that are practices that we have already said to God, yes, God, these things are sin. They are out in the open. My brothers and sisters are aware of them and I am actively engaged in a fight that those things would not take root and take hold of my life. That is different. That's a different conversation. That's not what I'm talking about. God delights in that because we're telling the truth about what sin is. We have said, God, this does not belong. And we are in a process of sanctification where we are rooting that stuff out of our life. That is altogether different than saying, no, God, thank you very much. This habit will stay right put here. Or no, God, that's not actually sin. It makes me feel good, and so I'm gonna keep it. Or it gives me this, that, and the other, and so I'm gonna keep it. It's not actually sin. That is different than a struggle where we've already named to God what he has revealed as sin. The, the word confess literally is a simple definition. It literally means to speak out loud in agreement with another. To speak out loud in agreement with another. So confession, which is what we're really mining down on today, confession is when we take what the Holy Spirit reveals as sin and we say, yes, God, you're right. <laughs> Who's the other we're agreeing with? God. Yes, God, you're right. When I manipulated this relationship for my own satisfaction, you're right, God, that was sin. And I am out loud agreeing with God that what sin is, is actually sin. That's all confession is. And by the way, this matters. Sin is revealed by the Spirit and according to the Scripture. And so the more and more and more that we engage in Scripture, the more and more and more that the Holy Spirit brings God's Word to life, the more and more and more God is going to be able to access and root out the hidden sin of our heart to bring those things to light for our restoration. If we ignore Scripture, I can promise you that our sanctification will be severely limited. Because the very light that the Holy Spirit uses to reveal sin is a tool that we've put on the shelf and refused to use. But more than just bringing our sin before God, what we're saying to our community, confession matters in our fellowship with one another. More than just bringing it before God, what we're saying to the community is that the Holy Spirit has revealed sin in my life. And I'm acknowledging that sin has harmed our fellowship. And I'm acknowledging that. See, we have this other trick that we do where we, first of all, the one trick that we do is hiding, and I've talked about that. The other trick that we do is pretending like sin only impacts somehow our fellowship with God. That sin can, sin can somehow stay housed right here. <laughs> but I wanna tell you, all sin is harmful to one another. All sin has ripple effects. All sin reaches out and touches our relationships with one another. There is no such thing as sin that does not impact the community. Now, sometimes the community may not be aware or be able to articulate the ways in which your sin or my sin is impacting one another, but you can be sure that it is. 
Take, for example, if I were to just, if I were to have a sinful thought about one of you, if I were to judge you harshly, harshly, if I were to assume false things about you and never tell you those things, is that gonna change the way I act around you? Yes. Is that gonna change the way I approach you? Is that gonna, is that gonna change our fellowship? Absolutely. Now, will you maybe ever know what I think about you? No, maybe not. Maybe I can keep that hidden. But has it changed our interaction? It sure has. And so has sin gotten out into the community? Absolutely. Even when we think sin is hidden in the place of my thoughts, I can promise you it never, ever, ever stays there. It always works its way out into community. And so confession is vital because not only does it restore our fellowship with God, but it is a tool that allows us to restore our fellowship with one another. Because we are saying to our community that, that God has identified sin in my life and I know it has impacted you. And so here it is. And it restores our fellowship with one another. That's why James chapter five, verse 16 says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. James doesn't say confess your sins to God and then don't tell anybody else. He says, confess your sin to one another. He wants for us to talk about our sin with one another because it's not just our fellowship with God that is hindered in sin, it is our fellowship with one another. But confession is, is a gift. Just like Nathan talked about repentance as a joy and a gift, confession is a gift. And it's a gift because God wants to act in our lives right now so that we live our lives out from under the bondage of sin. When we refuse to confess our sin to one another, it corrupts us. But confession is a gift because it allows for us to acknowledge sin before God and the community so that we would be healed and restored. What might confession look like amongst us if we saw it instead of this terrifying, horrifying thing that I'm an embarrassing thing to do, what would it look like if we saw it as a gift of God? How might it change the way we approach one another if we saw it as a gift of God? I wanna go through, just to kind of round this out practically, because I think sometimes we hear this and we go, you know, immediately probably as I've been preaching, maybe even the way, when I said the word confession, there are probably some of you that immediately, whatever sin you're dealing with, whatever's going on in your heart, like immediately came up into your throat. <laughs> you have that, you know? I have that all the time. Where just like the awareness of sin and just like something spark, it's like just in your throat. And there's an anxiousness, there's especially when, when preachers up there talking about saying it out loud, you're like, no, get it down, <laughs> right? I don't wanna deal with this. How do I deal with this? Confess talking about saying it out loud. What does that look like? It can be intimidating, it can be terrifying. And so I want to try to land this really, really, really practically. I came across, there's a New Testament commentator, his name's David Guzik. I read his stuff fairly often. And he had, I've adapted a list that he made about confession, just practical elements of confession. And I've adapted this list. I think it's really helpful. And I wanna go through this just as we close because I think that this is a discipline that should be practiced within the local church. And that sounds terrifying, but what might it look like? So here's some things that might be helpful to you. First, confession should be made to God and the one sinned against. 
Again, it's a recognition that sin harms my fellowship with God, but sin also harms fellowship with one another. That it is right and good for me to confess, not just before God, but to confess my sin to the one that I have sinned against. The second, confession should often be public. Okay, now this one you're like, okay, I'm out, <laughs> right? It's one thing to talk to God about it. Now you're talking about talking to somebody else and then public, what does that mean? That is, that is completely related to the specific situation. But the point is that we recognize that our sin has ripple effects. And bringing that sin into the light is not just saying, for example, here's an example. There have been times where, and times that I would just embarrassingly say, times more often than there ever should be, or times where I respond in emotion or anger to my wife and my kids are listening. Now, who have I sinned against? I've sinned against Lindsay. In that moment where I respond and I lash out with criticism or anger, I've sinned against my wife. But who has been within earshot? What are the additional ripples? My kids. And so that confession of sin needs not only to come to my wife and to God and say, that was sin, I responded in anger and speak to her about it, but also to go to my children and to talk to them about that, same, that very same thing to apologize for them what they saw from their dad and to tell them that that was sinful, that God's, that's not God's design. The point is that's a public confession of sin because that moment had ripple effects beyond, beyond the one who I sinned against. Public confession, this is the third one, and I'm gonna lose numbers here because I have bullet points, not numbers, so if you're like a note-taking person, I don't know how many there are. <laughs> Public confession needs to also be discreet. Public confession needs to also be discreet. What I mean by that is you need to think about the audience that you are speaking to when you confess sin. Because sometimes we can do more harm than good. If I don't think about the audience and I just start talking, if I, for example, were to share with you this congregation some way in which I have sinned against a brother or sister in this room that I'd not already talked to them about. Or if me even talking about it publicly would bring huge embarrassment and spotlight onto their life, then my confession of sin in that environment without thinking about them is actually selfish in nature. It's just about me. I'm turning the spotlight on me and going, look how good of a Christian I am. I'm confessing to all of you without having thought about how the audience might impact the one who I've actually sinned against. And in many ways, we can do more harm than good, obviously, when our confession of sin is about self, is about showing off how good we are. That's not the case at all. We should always be thinking about how can I serve the one that I have sinned against. And that public confession of sin needs to include a consideration of them. Confession should be appropriately specific. This is the classic, I love this one, where we just go to somebody and we, we know that we've done some things to sin against them, but we go to them and we go, I'm sorry if there's ever anything I've ever done to hurt you. It's like, thanks for being specific. Man, you are not ready to confess sin if you don't even know what that is. Don't drag them into your mess. Hang on a minute, reflect, come before God in prayer and be able to go to somebody and go, let me specifically tell you 
about the ways in which I have sinned against you. If you can't be specific, odds are that that confession of sin is not about them at all, it's about you, and you should pause. Be specific. Confessions should be thorough. We should be talking to God about inside and outside things, okay? When I'm talking about thorough, I'm not just meaning the things that we don't just confess sin that people saw and the rest of it that I got away with, the hidden thoughts that I got away with, those are not things that I have to, to confess. No, we need to be talking about the inside and the outside things because guess what? They're tied together. The outside stuff doesn't happen without the inside stuff going on first. And so confession of sin should be thorough. This is not just about talking about my wrong actions. This is talking about where my heart does not align with the way in which God says it should. Confession must have honesty and integrity. Don't try to make sin less than it is. Don't try to make it not a big deal. When you're confessing sin to somebody else, when you're talking about it to God, don't, don't try to make it not a big deal. Be honest about it. It needs to have honesty and integrity. And here's the deal about integrity. And I wanna, I wanna make this point and then, and then I'm, gonna, I'm gonna try to steer this thing home. This is where I think confession and repentance are the most evident as a relationship with one another. Integrity in confession is directly related to intent on repentance. If you do not intend to move in a different direction, then your confession lacks integrity. For me to say I'm sorry to my wife about lashing out in anger without also wanting to never lash out in anger again and to be committing myself to habits and disciplines and routines that would cause me to live in a Christ-like manner, if that part is not in it, then simply saying to her I'm sorry is useless. And in fact, that's the way that abusive relationships go round and round and round and round and round is a whole lot of I'm sorry's, but not much actual repentance. The confession, speaking to somebody about sin, the integrity of confession means that I have already purposed before God and before this family to live in a different direction. And if you have not done that, then you keep that silent until you are ready to repent before God and move in a different direction. Because you will do more harm than good just saying I'm sorry over and over without ever intending to live in a different way. You guys good? This is heavy, you good? You all right? Don't fear that public confession of sin is gonna get out of hand. You know, I think if you just look at the, just the history of revival, when God moves, and we're certainly seeing this now, we're, we, are, we are literally seeing this right, right now. And when, when God begins to move, God's people get serious about sin. When God's people really get serious about sin, they start talking about it before God and one another. And when they start talking about it before God and one another, things start happening, people get free. But here's the deal, it also can make some extremely uncomfortable. Oh, I don't wanna hear that, I don't wanna really hear the truth. <laughs> That's a little scary, keep it in the neat, tidy church box. Let's make sure that all of these you know, confessions of sin are really nice and church appropriate and fit in the box and they're not gonna make anybody squirm. 
We worry about that. We worry about the perception of the church. We worry about you know, what someone might say. And here's the deal. When confession of sin is authentic and is driven by God's spirit, don't you worry. God's not gonna get it out of hand. God will do what is perfectly appropriate. And what happens and what comes out of people's mouths in an authentic response to God will be so, so, so good. We need not fear that getting out of hand. The last point, and certainly as we've talked about this today, there may be somebody that comes up to you this week. There may be somebody that comes up to you today and talks to you about their sin. And the last point I would make is that those who hear a confession of sin, when, some, when a brother or sister comes to us and says, I've sinned against you, that we also have a great responsibility. And that great responsibility is to hear our brother or our sister out and then take appropriate steps for the restoration of that relationship. Now, I don't have time, this is a whole nother sermon and, or multiple sermons. I don't have time to do it today, but I wanna just say this. That does not mean, and we hear this in church sometimes, it's just not true. That does not mean forget that it ever happened and automatically the relationship goes back exactly the way that it was and that's, that, that's restoration. No, 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 that's not it at all. That relationship, depending on what's happened, may never go back to the way that it was before. But that doesn't mean that there can't be restoration. And restoration means that God, by his spirit, has created harmony where there once was discord. That harmony may have looked one way before the harm, and it may look another way afterwards, okay? But we don't, when somebody confesses sin to us, it's not, we don't need to feel this pressure to say, oh, it's okay, I'll just forget it ever happened. No. You thank that brother or that sister for their honesty. I would say you pray with them and you thank God for that honesty. And then you begin a process of seeking the Lord and seeking wise counsel with other brothers and sisters to figure out what would it look like to start to take steps towards restoration in the relationship. But it doesn't mean this forgive and forget thing that we've trumpeted in the church that you just can't find in scripture. But it doesn't also eliminate the hope of restoration. Okay, how many of you know I've preached a long time? I was off for a couple of weeks and it's just going. Let's stand for our invitation. I wanna make an important distinction real quick as we come into our time of invitation. And I know these, this, is a, this is a heavy message and I, I just, it just is, there's nothing we really can do about that. This is heavy, but I just, I want us to just recognize and enjoy the, the gift that God has given us in confession. And it, I know that it brings nerves and, it, and, and it, can, it can be intimidating, but I just want you to know that God's design is we speak out loud about our sin, God's design is to heal us and set us free. God never designed for you and I to live in the bondage of sin. And God does not desire that our relationships with one another would be continually harmed and hindered by sin. And so he's given us this as a gift. But I wanna make an important distinction. There is a difference, there is a confession that occurs at the outset of my relationship with God. And you've heard that confession talked about in baptism. You've heard that confession in the, in the stories that we, have, that we have shared. There is that, that moment of confession where we're not coming before God and saying, God, these are the bad things I've done. 
But we're coming before God and we're saying, God, I recognize that I am by my nature sinful, that I have rebelled against you, that I've worshiped myself instead of you. And I'm confessing not what I've done, but God, I'm confessing before you who I know that I am. That your word says that I am sinful, that I'm a child of wrath. And I'm confessing before you, God, who I am. And that confession happens at the outset of our relationship with God because it's in that confession, and we, we've said before, admit and believe and confess, but it's in that confession of who I am that we're also then following that with, but God, I know that's not your design for me. And that because of your love, you've sent Jesus to die and to pay the penalty for what I am. And his perfectly righteous life and death and resurrection has paid that price. And I am confessing to you who I am, but also falling on you that I might be new. And it's by his grace and by his mercy and by his shed blood that in that moment there's an exchange. I confess who I once was, but then by his grace, I'm forgiven, cleansed, healed, restored, and made new. And I become a new creation in Christ Jesus. That's confession that, that begins and initiates our relationship with God. And then confession is a continued tool that I use as I walk in fellowship with him where, where when I stray, I'm not saying, God, this is who I am anymore. I'm saying, God, instead of living by your spirit, I chose to live according to my flesh and sin was the result. And God, I want you to, I want you to change me and heal me from that. And those things are different. But God might be talking to you about one or the other of those. And I would just say that wherever you are in that process, in that journey, again, I know this is sensitive stuff. This is hard stuff. I would just say to you to respond to the spirit of God wherever he has you. If for you today, it's time for you to confess to him who you are, that you are a rebel against God and you need him to save you, I would encourage you to make your way to the back of the room. We've got prayer partners at the back that would be happy to, to walk you through what it looks like to place your faith in Jesus. We've also got, this is an addition, balcony peeps, shout out to you. We've got a prayer partner now in the balcony. Say what, what? All right. So you don't have to come down the stairs. Caleb will be right back up there in the middle Man, if, if this is a time where you need to move across the room and you need to talk to somebody, and I, just, I would just say, if the spirit of God has prompted that in you, then, then be obedient, be obedient. If you need to just come here and the beginning step for you is just to talk to God about sin and you need to just come lay your face down here, I uh, would encourage you to do that as well. The point is respond to God's spirit as he leads. And so we're just gonna pray, Father, we trust you in this. And we know that this is just a really vulnerable thing. This is a scary, intimidating thing. That many of us are worried about, what are people gonna think? What, what, how am I gonna be perceived? But God, we just pray that there would be freedom in the room. God, we just pray that your grace and your mercy would be evident, that we would see this as a gift that you have given us to restore fellowship with you and to restore fellowship with one another. And that we would trust your Holy Spirit. If you're prompting us, then it is good for us and that we would be obedient in our response. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.